well, today is going to be a communion Sunday, um, and we've, over the last year, typically, uh, uh, Pastor Brian Scheimer would come in once a month, and he would do communion, and one of the requests from some of the leadership in the congregation was that um, they would love to do communion on a Sunday that I was actually present with the congregation, and so working with the district, moving some things around, um, making it so that I can be here. Uh, Brian Shiner will uh, continue to fill in from time to time, but we're actually going to be moving to the one Sunday that I'm off in a way where we will have uh, kind of variety of guest speakers come in to share. And so Brian will be in the rotation, but you guys will get an opportunity to hear from several other people. Um, next week, you will actually hear from two of my interns at Because People Matter. Um, one is at Corbin University, the other is at Wheaton. And they will be sharing a little bit of their testimony and why they're pursuing the degrees they are, are why and how they see faith intertwined into the acts of their life. Um, and we're in this series of the early church and the habits of the early church. And the idea, um, a little bit just kind of looking at it, like the habit of telling stories was central to the early church, right? They didn't have necessarily scripture and text in, in the form of the Bible that we have it today. And so the apostles would write letters to churches and it would get passed around and they would read it and then they would send that, that letter to the next church so they could benefit from it. And they would gather around and saints would talk about their story. Here's how I experienced God. And, and the growth was primarily through that verbal sharing of a testimony about what God has done. So next week we will be practicing that habit of the early church, the habit of sharing stories of both um, Chad and Deanna, who will be here with you guys. Um, today we're talking about the habit of breaking bread. Right? So the, the text that we kind of started the series after Easter, the uh, disciples are hanging around, the others are gathering around, and in Acts 2, 42, it says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and prayer. The way we kind of tie that in now is through communion with bread and, and wine or juice. Um, but that wasn't actually the habit back then of the early church. The habit of breaking bread was actually uh, a shared meal, right? And a few weeks ago, I, I used the uh, quote from Leroy Barber who said, you don't really know someone until you put your feet under their table. And the idea of the early church was that they actually, like it was a full meal. It wasn't just some elements at the end of a service. It, they would gather together and, and share. And there would be conversation, there would be encouragement, uh, there would be even at the end singing of songs together just around the table. Uh, and that's where this practice kind of comes from, but it, it, it started in that habit much broader. They actually used the word agape feast, or the love feast. And the saints would gather for this love feast and share, and there would be singing and laughter. It's kind of interesting that... Uh, some of the early church practices, actually, for those who were maybe, you know, more from the Roman Empire, maybe looking at it from the outside, would also kind of judge and like, what are they doing? And they're gathering for this love feast. Um, is that like, there was some weird like, what exactly are they doing over there? Um, 
And even as they talked about the, the, you know, the juice or the wine representing the blood of Christ, or is he like, are they doing human sacrifices? There's all sorts of speculation around uh, the love feast as, as these Christians gather to do things differently. Um, you know, they have these love feasts and they're drinking blood. Uh, it, was, it was a little, uh, you know, uh, sketchy for some of them. Uh, church historians looking through that, the process of the love feast and orders of service and gatherings and writings actually figure that somewhere about 150 A.D. to 200 A.D., the, the love feast kind of disappears a little bit. Uh, church began moving. More people came. It was harder to manage a full shared meal. Uh, and even in uh, Corinthians, you see Paul addressing the church, because even at that point, early on, there was this, uh, uh, maybe this distortion of taking a little bit away from what the love feast was supposed to be. People were coming and eating all of the food before others got there, and then people were coming and they were hungry, and there wasn't this mutual care. And so even early on in the text, there's already, like, there's having to be this correction instruction around how you gather, how you come to the table. What is your heart? What is your attitude? How do you treat people? But again, about 150 to 280, the love feast kind of disappears from texts around this is how service went. And, and it became more of just what is referred to as the Eucharist, which is just the elements at the end. But the habit, and we see the church growing through the early years, the habit to come together and not just, hey, we're in a service, we greet each other in, in the hallway, because relationally this is good, but if this is the extent of fellowship, then it's lacking a little bit. We don't really get to know what's going on in each other's lives. We don't get to know the stories of encouragement. We don't get to know how to pray for and show up for people if this is all the fellowship that was there. So the habit said they were even early days, they would go from town to town, sharing meals, breaking bread, and really genuinely being with one another. And if we're going to have habits of the early church, then it kind of means that we need to practice some of those things. And so the encouragement to you, yes, we will have the practice of the communion, but do you have the practice of actually showing up and breaking bread with people, having a shared meal? We have our coffee time. Afterwards, which is just a little bit of a uh, encouragement to get to know each other a little bit more, to have some of that fellowship, to be able to engage in some of that, that conversation, which I think is important to the health of the church and the health of individuals in their faith. But, but even beyond that, are we finding time? Are we intentional to create space in our busy lives that we can sit with one another and break bread? That we can have a love feast, a meal centered around the love of God, the growth of God, to be able to encourage, build up one another. Um, the word habit, actually, definitions for you, it says a regular tendency, especially one that is hard to give up. Right? A regular tendency. Um, now, how many of you would say most of your habits are good? Everybody just has good habits. Um, and then there's maybe vulnerability. How many of you know that you have a few bad habits? All right. All right. All right. Good. I appreciate your honesty. There will be a confessional later. 
Uh, habits often, right, so it's a, it's a tendency that's hard to give up. It's almost, uh, some of the, the language around it too is it's instinctual if it's a habit, right? You don't actually have to think about it, right? If I were to yell, duh, our habit, because it's become, we'd all kind of, there's a little movement, you know? Just instinctually, we're going to do certain things. Uh, it's even a subconscious to a level that it doesn't require like that conscious, oh, oh, someone is yelling duck. That means something's probably coming at my head. Okay, I think I would like, all of that happens so fast because it's instinctual, it's a tendency. But almost every habit also requires a cue. Right, something has to cue you to do it. When I wake up in the morning, right, there's an alarm, it cues me that I need to make coffee. It's a priority. Uh, if, you know, uh, even I, I like football and we're getting ready to go to the spring training, but the, uh, the little sound of the beginning of Monday Night Football, dun, 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 that's a cue. I hear this thing, there's this off like, oh, and I get excited. Just instinctually, it's football time. Um, and so we have cues, and even in the habits of the church, right, we have cues. We have elements to help tie in a cue of what we're supposed to be about. Um, I don't think it's actually just about taking the elements, but it's a cue of a habit. And, uh, scripture talks uh, where it says... 1 Corinthians 11, 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Uh, it's kind of interesting to say the idea of in remembrance of me. Right? That this is actually a cue to remember. It's not just, oh, I did my monthly communion. I'm going to check that off my holy acts of righteousness. But it's a cue as we partake of this. This should instinctually force us into a time of remembrance. What did Christ do for us? What is the significance of that? What does his death, burial, um, the shedding of his blood, the, the breaking of his body, what does that mean to me? And this should cue us into a deep, deep time of remembrance. Uh, so we don't call this, you know, through history, we don't really call this the love feast anymore. Catholic Church, whatnot, would refer to it as the Eucharist. Um, more common, we will call it communion. We'll call it the breaking of bread. Um, some traditions will call this the Lord's table. Um, and, and I do, I am going to preface this as I uh, come in. I am not Methodist, again, you guys remember. So uh, leaning into trying to study this more of the tradition of UMC and, and how... Uh, you know, just what the Methodists are used to, having conversations with the district superintendent, um, all of those things and trying to bring it in. And um, So my traditions are a little bit different, so we're kind of weaving in this, and you guys are, will have to indulge me for uh, who I am. I'm going to be true to me as I'm here, as I also learn and lean in a little bit. Uh, one of the interesting things in the conversations with uh, Pastor Tim or Diaz, who was here with me on Thursday, is because I'm not ordained in the UMC, I can't actually consecrate the elements, meaning I can't bless these. And in the UMC tradition, they have to be blessed before they can be served. So I met with uh, 
Reverend Tim Overton Harris, who's our district superintendent. We had a communion time together, prayer together, whatnot, over the elements. And the theory a little bit behind it is even this. And, and I'm going to preface theory. Uh, the theory is that when Reverend Tim was ordained, he had his hands, you know, hands were laid upon him to consecrate him for ministry. And whoever laid hands on him, they had hands laid on them, who had hands laid on them, who had hands laid on them, who had, right, so throughout history. And the theory is that it goes all the way back. So Methodist church grew out of the Anglican ministry, uh, and they had hands laid on them. And the Anglican church sprung out of the Catholic church, who had hands laid on them. And the Catholic church came from the early church and the traditions of the Desert Fathers and all of them who had hands laid upon them, who goes back to the very early church, who had hands laid on them, who in theory had hands laid on them by one of the apostles. So the idea is that there is an unbroken lineage that would go from Pastor Tim all the way back to the apostles. Um, in theory, right? That's kind of hard to document and all of that. I'm like, oh, all, right, all right, I can see the theory a little bit. Okay. Um, Methodists do celebrate what they call an open communion, which means some churches, you have to be a member of the church. You have to be approved to even come and take communion. Um, and within the Methodist culture, all are welcome to the table. Uh, and some in that, again, tradition, well, what does that mean all? So, well, all Christians are welcome to the table. But you have to be a you know, professing believer in Christ in order to take communion. And if you're not, we'd ask you to stay in your seat. I actually, uh, and this is where UMC is not particular, so I'm going to lean into more of my tradition, is, is this, I think there are a lot of people who are searching for meaning, and they're showing up in services, and they're looking for a God, and if, if it is done with reverence and respect, and maybe you're like, I don't even know if I believe in God yet, but I am respectfully here, and I'm desiring to press in, then I would say you're welcome to the table. Because for God so loved the world, right? He didn't just love Christians. Uh, he loves the entire world. And if you're here in a moment of searching, of leaning in, and again, not like, well, I don't believe, you know, like not disrespectfully, if that's the intent of your heart, then I would encourage you to stay, you know, in your seat or stay at home. Um, but if you are, even if you're not a believer, but you're in this desire to know more of God, to understand more of God. And this is done in remembrance of what Christ did. What better place for someone to come and perhaps encounter a living God? And so, as we practice an open communion, I open it to anyone who's willing to come respectfully with intent of hoping to engage with the God with an attempt to remember everything that Christ did. Uh, one of the other interesting pieces as we look at this uh, is there's the passage where it says, as often as you get together, do this in remembrance of me. So as often as you get together, and that passage has had some different pieces. So there are some traditions who do communion every week because it says, as often as you get together. Uh, UMC typically does it once a month often on the first Sunday of the month. 
but there are others who look at it that the meal where Jesus actually broke bread and gave his disciples and, and instilled the sacrament of the Eucharist was the Passover meal. And so there are some who would say, you know, as often as you do this, was Jesus saying as often as you get together and eat? Is this every day in your home? Is this as often as you gather corporately? Or was it actually intended to be just as often as you do this Passover meal? Which would mean we would only do communion once a year. Uh, and so there's, there's different theories and tied to it. And I do want to lean into the idea of the Passover just a little bit. Uh, because I think it has the strongest ties to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us, right? So the Passover feast was a Jewish tradition and the Seder meal... Um, which goes back to um, Exodus 12. Let me see if I have my numbers right. Exodus 12. I know what I'm talking about. Um, so in Exodus 12, you have Moses trying to get the people of Israel out of slavery and captivity in Egypt. And first the Pharaoh says, sure, sure, sure. And then he changes his mind because he's going to lose his labor force and this and that. And who's in charge, really? And, and it goes back and forth. And um, you can read all of that in Exodus. It's a much longer story. Or you can watch the cartoon Moses. It will capture most of it for you. Uh, but there's specifically one of the, the, the final plagues was the angel of death was going to pass over all of Egypt. And every firstborn child and every firstborn animal was going to perish when the angel of death came across Egypt. And the instruction to the Jewish people were to take a lamb. Uh, they're actually supposed to bring it into their home and care for it for a few days. And so even with your kids and your friends, there's this attachment. That's not just, oh, here's this. We went and we bought a lamb that we don't know and we got some. You were supposed to bring it into your home and care for it before you were to slaughter it as a sacrifice. And then with the blood from that lamb, they would smear the blood on their door frame, above their post, and down the sides. And when the angel of death came, any home that had the blood of the lamb smeared over it, the angel of death would simply pass over that house, which is where we get the phrase Passover. Right? Some of our phrases are pretty unique. And where does that word come from? Some of this oh, makes sense of Passover. That's Passover. Okay, good. Um, simplicity is beautiful at times. Uh, and so scripture talks often, so this is where we tie back to Christ, right? We want this coming Messiah, which is important. But And so we have the King, Jesus, right? Or often referred to even as the Lion, right? The Lion of Judah. King Jesus, but he was both the lion and the lamb. And he came to sacrifice himself. And all through it, even, you know, like, oh, are you coming to become the new king? Are we going to actually crown Jesus ruler over Israel and, and separate from the Roman Empire and, and all these expectations? And, and it was this challenge constantly with the people of Israel at the time to get them to understand that in my coming now, I come as the lamb. I'm coming to sacrifice Right? Scripture talks that the wages of sin is death. And, and that repentance, that forgiveness of sin, had a cost to it. 
But that cost is not something that we have to pay. Right? Jesus paid that cost on the cross. Jesus' blood was shed. And when we put our faith in Jesus, that blood is a covering over us. That the wages of sin, the cost of it, literally will pass over you. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Christ has done for us. It's his blood that causes the consequences of our sin to not come upon us in judgment, but to pass over us. And that's what we remember. That ought to be the cue of what our minds and our hearts go to as we partake of communion, when we take a little piece of bread, which symbolizes the body of Christ broken for us, when we take the little cup, which is representing of the blood of Christ, it is, it is a cue to remember what Christ has done, and not just the triumphant king, the sacrificial lamb. Going all the way back to Exodus, where this image, this foreshadowing of what God would do for us would be. There is this part where it is about us in community, and we come communally to partake of communion together, um, as God calls his children as a whole. Right? So let this be a reflection. Let this be um, a remembrance. And even you know, the sermon title today is The Habit of Breaking Bread, and maybe it ought to be actually the habit of remembering. Do we remember? Do we actually have a habit of going about our day or our week remembering all the things God has done for us? Uh, this last week was super busy for me with Because People Matter. We had a um, missions team in from Montana. Um, this summer, we will have 10 different missions trips that we host. We put together um, things called transformation trips where students get to come. They live in a bunkhouse downtown. And they serve for anywhere from like a one-day service project up to five days. Uh, and those weeks are really busy for me when I have a group of teenagers from out of state for five days. And I have a team and whatnot, but we have a whole schedule. We keep them busy. We go event after event. Uh, and we're doing good. We're loving people because people matter. We're challenging them to see how their faith ties into what they're doing. But it is buried down by taking a few breaths just be present here in the moment. I then look at the scripture. I read it. I try to take three more breaths slowly. Just to remember to let it sink in. Right? It is, it is a habit um, that is based off of cue. I need that little, you have a message for Bronco. That is my cue to remember and reflect on scripture. And it's built in daily. What's great is I don't actually have to do it. Bronco does it for me. It's wonderful. Uh, but what habits, right? It, you know, the habit, again, it's a tendency, especially one that is hard to give up. Um, the only way I could get rid of Bronco's notes would be to, like, unfriend him or block him, uh, which wouldn't be nice at all. Uh, so so how, how do you create habits? Yes, we have habits, and, and within um, liturgy and, and organized church and religion and habits and ring the bell, we have little cues, but... But you are not here at church all the time. You don't live here. Um, so what habits 
are you putting into your daily life, your daily routine, in order to draw you back to what Christ has done, in order to create this remembrance? And if those habits are hard to do, like, oh, I really intend to pray every day for my family, and I do love them, I just forget. Like, perhaps you need a cue. Set an alarm. Have somebody message you. Uh, write a note on your mirror. And when you get out of the shower and you're getting ready, you can see uh, either a quote or a mantra. Or maybe it's like, don't forget to pray, right? I mean, whatever it is. But, but things that will cue you, things that will just remind you to take a moment and to remember the habits, prayer, worship, song, and fellowship, giving of gifts and talent, service. Do you have those cues built into your life? Because the cues help. Like it's just practical. I love that I get my message from Bronco. Yes, should I be reading scripture every day on my own? Yes, but when it gets busy and I get going and I didn't have time or I woke up late or I needed that extra cup of coffee. Uh, but a cue helps me to perform the habit which helps draw me and ground me in Christ. And so that is communion for us this morning, that it would be an intentional cue for us to partake of something and to remember all of what Christ has done. And not just that we're a church, not that it's a habit, that we remember the work of the cross. We remember the sacrificial lamb. We remember the importance of the blood of Christ in order to give us forgiveness. That the judgment for our sins would literally pass over us because somebody else has paid the